Good morning. Uh, we are in Advent right now, as we were just uh, reading from the Advent texts, and um, we are exploring Advent according to Philippians, since that's what we've been talking about um, in this last season. It's what the text we've been visiting. And so uh, Advent means, uh, like we've said, coming or arrival, and we are recognizing the first coming of Jesus, but not just that first coming, uh, we're also recognizing and hopefully expectant of his return, his second coming. And so as we do that, and as we remember the first and look forward to the second, um, we look at some different virtues uh, with the tradition of Advent, hope, joy, peace, and love. And today we are looking at joy. Um, believe it or not, I don't find myself crying all that often. Um, you can ask my wife, she'll tell you I don't cry all that much. But there are moments and this was a moment. Maybe I was just really tired or worn down from the trip we had just been on. Um, but regardless of why, I found myself crying, of all places, on a plane, a little louder than I would probably say I'm comfortable with. <laughs> and this, this was a couple years ago. My wife and I had decided to take a trip somewhere near the beach. And it was one of those trips where you really observe the difference between a trip and a vacation, if you know what I mean. Um, Vacations are supposed to be really relaxing, restful. And trips, we usually think of adventure, activity. They're really full and fun. And this one was definitely a trip. Um, our flight on the way there was late, and our private transfer to our Airbnb never came, which left us to take a sketchy taxi, and that's a generous term, instead. And when we got to our stay, we found that there were bugs crawling through some more than large hinges on the door, um, and that week we had some bicycles available to us to, to get around just for cheaper transportation and th they were great, but we underestimated the distance we were going to be needing to travel on these bicycles. And so very quickly, this trip was turning out to more of an adventure than we had signed up for. And it felt very unrestful. And so after two to three days of trying to make things work, we decided to just find another place to stay, <laughs> go over our budget, find something a little bit more comfortable and we did end up having some sweet memories, some good rest, good food, but I'll say the trip felt far from restful. Um, in fact, I found myself at the end really looking forward to being home. Uh, and that being said, there was this moment on the plane ride back between our stressful trip and coming home in the middle of the unrest and tiredness I was feeling. There was a moment when the presence of God felt near. And in the aisle seat of a back row in economy class, the Lord was near. And I don't think anything else really mattered to me at that moment. And the trouble we had earlier on our trip, after that, we had, we had been to the beach, we had eaten good food, and, and soon I would be back home where I, I really enjoy my normal life. And honestly, though, I'd say I probably wouldn't have traded that moment for any of those things because the Lord was near. And that plane ride was just the where that God was. It was the location. This morning I want to invite us to some reflections on this Advent virtue of joy. I'll give a little disclaimer here. Uh, I don't feel extremely qualified to talk about this one of the virtues, if any. Uh, historically, I'd say I've probably been a joy cynic. Um, I don't think I'd say I've done feelings very well at all in, in general, um, let alone joy. Um, 
But that being said, because of that, I've had to stumble into what this can look like for those of us who are maybe not as predisposed to joy, who don't find it as naturally. It has to become, in that way, more of a discipline. So I want us to ask a few questions about joy and let the Philippian letter continue to inform us about these things. And we'll just start with the concept of joy that we see in the letter. Um, First off, it's a massive concept in this letter. In fact, some have summarized it to be this letter is really just about joy. Um, It's found in in either its verb or noun form 16 times in just the four chapters. Um, Some have even gone as far to say that you could summarize the entire letter by just saying, in the words of Paul, I rejoice, you rejoice. So it's a significant theme, especially when you think about where Paul was writing it from. He was writing it from a prison cell, likely one that he would uh, he'd soon die um, shortly after. And, and also, if you think back to the first time he was in Philippi, he was imprisoned there. And we get this wonderful account of him rejoicing in a jail cell and an earthquake happens and he breaks free. So um, this is a really big deal to Paul, especially in this letter. And in this way, this is not just a fading emotion of Paul's. He didn't just feel joy occasionally. It seems as though it was a consistent thing in his life. I'm wondering how. What's interesting as we look at some of these instances of joy, these are just some of the instances we see him describing having joy. In all my prayers for all of you, I pray with joy. I continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Um, we've quoted to, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind, um, making his joy complete. And, and, and then he calls the Philippian church his joy and his crown. What's really interesting, though, of the 16 times that we see uh, a reference to joy, only five of them are just to this idea or concept of, of joy as a feeling or just in more of a noun form. We see 11 times that it's in action through rejoicing. Only what's the result? That in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this, I rejoice. But in, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice service of your faith, I rejoice and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you rejoice and rejoice with me. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say again, rejoice. This is a really consistent theme here. Not just of feeling joy, but in a way, doing it. And so, and these are some of the most memorable uh, uses or, or, or moments in the letter we often think of. We often think of Philippians 4, 4. This is what stands out in our minds from this letter. And so, I am asking this question, is joy something I can have, or by rejoicing, is it something I can do? I, I think there's reason to think it is both, but the fact that Paul says rejoice 11 times and only joy 5 gives me an indication that he puts a lot of emphasis on practicing it. Now, how exactly this works out for us in real life is something we'll need to unpack because me just commanding you or Paul commanding anyone to feel something isn't exactly simple or possible. Have you ever done that to yourself? Man, I need to feel this. It doesn't really work like that. Um, I don't think there's anything we can just feel on command. So the command to rejoice, although it does seem really critical to Paul, does seem at least at first glance a little impractical. We'll have to do a little more digging um, there's another place in the letter when we can glean a little bit uh, more from as it relates to this feeling 
of Paul's, um, and it's when he talks to the church about this gift, he re- this gift he received. Let's read it. It's 4, 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had not, no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And it's from here, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It's a fascinating inside scoop into Paul's habit of rejoicing. You'll see here he rejoiced at the beginning, and then he mentions his contentment. Now, contentment doesn't have the same kind of zip to me as the idea or feeling of joy, but it is how Paul described the feeling resulting from his rejoicing. And this, in this description of it, isn't a blissful or ignorant joy. He mentions having much, he mentions having little, he mentions being well-fed and being hungry. So what seems consistent with his description of the relationship between rejoicing and contentment is that joy doesn't ignore circumstance or situation. It embraces circumstance and situation and still finds contentment. This isn't just uh, ignorance or, or just escapism. This is embracing the reality and even the hardship of my situation and somehow, I'll have to ask how, but somehow still find joy. What kind of example is this that Paul has given us? How can I have joy and rejoice in any circumstance? What was Paul's secret to contentment? Um, in fact, this is actually something that we can take note of throughout the biblical narrative. If we go back to the people of Israel after they've been freed from slavery in Egypt, the first act is singing and rejoicing. And think about it. This was after their slavery, but it was well before they walked into the promised land. If you will, this was there now and not yet. If we fast forward a little bit to their exile, the prophet Isaiah speaks of the coming Messiah as one who will bring those redeemed by the Lord to rejoice to Zion with glad shouts and eternal joy. Crowning their heads, happiness and joy will overtake them. This promise of joy is made in the middle of their exile, after they had a kingdom and before the Messiah had come. And then, of course, the angels come on the night of Jesus' birth in Luke 2. They call it good news that brings great joy. We know that Jesus himself, it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him endured the cross. And now we, much like the Israelites in the wilderness or the ones in the exile, we're awaiting this same Messiah's not first coming but return, and the invitation is the same. In the struggle and in the dire circumstances of our waiting, rejoice. Rejoice in the now and the not yet. But this doesn't still really answer my question about how I can rejoice. It still feels a little impractical if, you're, if you think like me. What was Paul's secret to rejoicing and contentment? Paul, who himself was in prison, and, and was in prison the first time he came to Philippi and rejoiced in the jail. What was his secret? And, and this is where I've got to go back to this uh, chapter 4, verse 4, where 
we, we, in verse 3, where he has this phrase that really stands out to us. Rejoice in the Lord. Here, Paul doesn't give a definition of joy, any instruction on how to have it, really. It's not very practical. He doesn't even really say why, even though we can garner why we might need joy, even though sometimes we can struggle with it. There's no real what, there's no real how, there's no real why. Interestingly, though, he does say where joy is. It's in the Lord. This might sound a little cheesy to our ears because it's so simple, but this is exactly the kind of invitation that King Jesus would make. The, the King Jesus who, while on earth, said things like, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest is in me, Jesus. All you who are thirsty, come to me and drink. The invitation he often gives, whether it's uh, uh, rest or satisfaction, or in our case, happiness and joy, is not in a formula or a philosophy. It's in himself. It's in the person of Jesus. I can rejoice in the Lord. This is the context and the place, the location that I find it is in the Lord. And whether, like Paul's talking about, I'm in a good situation, having much or having little, joy is available because God himself is. And so whether in good season, bad season, difficult situation, hard season, the location of joy, the where is Jesus. And the great news too about this is that God himself is near. He's not far off. He's accessible. He's present to me. He's engaged in the real parts of my life. He is near to me. So where is joy is maybe a good question. And we could say really easily it's in the Lord, as simple as that sounds. And the comforting part of that is that he's near. He is with us. But I don't think it's just where. Let's look again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, this is a command, and we need to obey commands, but I think this is a hint as to God's availability. Every moment is ripe with opportunity for joy in the Lord. And I often miss it. And it's right there in front of me, and it's not easy, and it is a discipline, but it is right there. Again, it's not one that ignores situations. It embraces reality. But in every reality, joy is available to me because God himself is. But catch this. This is maybe my favorite part. When we read the Lord is near, it doesn't just, it does mean that I can encounter him now, but it doesn't just mean now in the nowness of our experience also comes the not yet. And in Paul saying that the Lord is near, he's also saying the king is coming. He's coming soon. He is near. It's just like when C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia would say, Aslan is on the move. He is near. And that is a comfort to me. And that gives me joy because there are things in my current experience that are hard. And I need to know that this is a God who's going to make things right. He's on his way. And in this, I can also rejoice. My situations, although they're hard, are ripe with opportunities for joy. When is joy available? It's always, and I know, because the king is coming, he is near. Joy is coming. I have joy now because he's near me now, and I also have joy now because he's returning, but just not yet, and I'll have joy when he comes too. So 
So here I was in the back of the plane crying. I wasn't at the beach where I thought I'd be most happy or back home where I was finding myself most wanting to be on this flight. I was in the air on the plane on my way home and I found the presence of the Lord near. And in an uncomfortable situation, in an unrestful situation, I encountered joy because I encountered God. And I even began reflecting on this trip and some of the frustrating moments of it. And I found that the Lord was teaching me in hindsight about himself. He was showing me in a way where he was, even as I reflected. And I found myself even becoming grateful for this odd trip and these things that were frustrating and stressful because I was discovering that God was in the middle of it. What kind of a joy is that, that I'm grateful for hard things because I'm finding God in it? And in the back row of a cheap airline economy seat, there was joy. Joy that was incongruent to my circumstances or comfort. I found myself rejoicing in the Lord because I found him near. And what's so helpful and critical for us is, and for me, I, I, this happens regularly that I find myself without joy. Can anyone relate? <laughs> I find myself often in disappointment. And, and the challenge for me now is not to worship my disappointment, to not engage in self-pity and woe is me. The challenge now is these moments can become an altar for worshiping the Lord, for rejoicing. Every disappointment becomes an altar to worship. What kind of people would we be if we approached it this way? So given that joy is available now, and I can hope for the joy that is not yet, the question becomes, really, how can I just show up to where God's at? If he's available and joy is in him, um, where is he? This is awareness. This is paying attention. This is just simply asking God, where are you? Where are you right now? Because that's what's going to bring it. And so the practice, uh, and the question just becomes, how can I position myself where and when joy is? But the practice for this is, we've already done it today. It's gratitude. It's me just recognizing where God is in the moment and just telling him about it, just recognizing it with him. Um, I see God where? I see him in my very life. And gratitude is one of these ways that we can do this act of rejoicing. Not just feel it, but position ourselves to experience it. Um, it's when Paul talks about contentment and having little or in, in having much, he can have contentment. I can position myself for joy by not gaining more. Like we often think about in our, our, our gift-receiving season of Christmas more, man, if I had this, I might be happy. I might have joy. But by recognizing what I do have and where God is, I can find it. So in terms of a, a simple invitation for gratitude this morning, I'd like to invite you to practice this in your evening times. Um, I, I'm going to invite you to practice this through just a couple simple prompts uh, to position ourselves for joy and, and using this where language to find out where he is. And some have called this kind of practice in the way I'm going to describe it. Uh, the examine, I'm not going to talk about the examine in detail or even give a, a description of what a more normal or traditional one would look like. If you want to know about it, I'm sure you could ask uh, someone like Matt Olson 
He'd love to talk to you about it. But I'm going to use this where language, and what it does is it just positions us for showing up to where God's at. And in a perfect time to practice, this would be right before you go to sleep. As all the thoughts of the past day and all the thoughts of the future day come ahead, in that now moment, you can be aware of where God's at. And so it's simply just going to be going through three questions here. God, where were you today? Revisit your day with God. Ask him where he was. Even picture it, if that seems helpful. What might happen in this process uh, could also be things that you're not particularly thankful for come to your mind. There may be events of your day that you don't really like or you even feel shameful about. And even in those moments where we wouldn't think to normally have gratitude, we can go there with Jesus. Maybe we'll even receive his forgiveness where we've sinned. And what better thing is there for us to be grateful for? Thankful in any way, though, I'm just, I'm getting to recognize and even picturing my day where God was at in it. And it leads us to the next one. God, where are you right now? In your times of going to bed, if if they're anything like mine, I'm often flooded with thoughts from the past day and ones of the next day. And so getting to review them is good, but it might pull me back into the loops of how my day went and those happenings all over again. And so in this way, I need God's presence and nearness Right then, I can meet God in the private space of my own heart and just gaze upon him. Not only living in the past or the future, but in the present, recognizing where God's at, even into sleep. And then, God, where are you going to be tomorrow? It's inevitable that our minds are going to go to the next day. It's natural. But after being present to God in the now, I'm also able to be present with him tomorrow, too. And I'll ask him and and let him show me where he's going to be. And it becomes a treasure hunt of, oh, God, where are you? I want to find you. And that he's coming soon and that my troubles will be taken care of in a final way when he returns. So uh, what we're doing here is we're just showing up. Um, Numerous studies have actually shown that regularly practicing gratitude can help ease even mild symptoms of anxiety and depression. Just practicing gratitude. Um, It's not blind gratitude again. Like Paul said, he's recognizing the good circumstance and the hard circumstance, and he's embracing reality and positioning himself for joy with gratitude. So to close, I'd just love to spend a minute together just going through each of these three. And we'll just pause for about 20 seconds on each one. And I just want you to reflect as to where God has been in these different moments. Is that all right? So let's listen, and I'll lead you through it. God, where were you today or even this morning? Thank you. God, where are you? Right now. Thank you. God, where will you be tomorrow or even for us later today?
thank you. Jesus, thank you that you are near. Thank you that you are the one who brings us joy. Not a circumstance, not a situation. We can't even make ourselves feel a feeling. But you bring us joy. And whether we have to position ourselves for it through rejoicing or just through gratitude, Lord, we just ask that we would be joy-filled people. Thank you that it's not limited or defined by our circumstances or feelings. Thank you that you're near. Thank you that you're coming soon. Lord, would you help us find you as we seek you? In Jesus' name, amen. Who's grateful for Israel Whitman? What the heck? I'm just sitting there crying, listening to this guy just flourish. Well, we're going to eat here in a minute. If anyone wants to stick around and do that, get your food. I don't really know what to do other than say that's what we're going to do now. So, where's Shelly? Oh, Shelly's cooking. She's in the kitchen. All right, well, if you're staying, head that way. If you're not, have a wonderful week. We love you.